Hello, welcome to the latest podcast from the University of Brighton. I'm Richard Newman and this week, Dr. Gary Brickley is my guest. He's a senior lecturer in exercise physiology and with the spring marathon season underway and the Brighton Marathon just around the corner, we thought it would be a good idea to ask him for a few tips for even the more experienced marathon runner. Gary's also a successful coach, a very successful coach. He's had an impact on Dame Sarah Story's Paralympic legacy in his work with British Cycling. I spoke to Gary about that, his own endurance exploits, but I began by asking him about his work at the University of Brighton. Lecturing is obviously my main main role, teaching students, uh, mainly third years and a lot of masters. Um, I, in research, I publish and I have PhD students and looking into various areas of GPS in football, uh, cardiology, um, uh, recent ones that, that have recently finished their PhDs, um, and a lot of work in cycling. I am a coach in, in cycling and in swimming, and um, and that they're my main kind of passions. Would we'll start really by talking about your your work here at the university, yeah. and you've been here for a long time, teach exercise physiology for a while, and as an expert in that field new methods research findings must have just come along that whole time that you've been working here so it's obviously a lot of changes yeah so it's i've been here since some of the early days um i uh went from the navy uh i joined started undergraduate degree in in sports science uh in 91 uh to 94 um and then did a phd after that uh which i completed in 99 yeah then been lecturing here since 2000 um, and things have changed quite a lot um, sports science has developed the competition has got uh, is is vast different courses throughout the country uh, the labs have changed uh, and the locations changed and research has, has moved on a lot and here in Eastbourne we've got this hub of of sport science so many experts with backgrounds um, at an elite level you're no exception which we'll come back to um, shortly but how beneficial is that for you as a lecturer and the students to be working around so many experts in their field and with the facilities that we have here yeah I, I think the students are really lucky we've got some brilliant um, staff here uh, we've got expertise in, in um, environmental physiology we've got e- experts in team sports we've got um, experts in in uh, genetics and paralympics so we've got uh, some brilliant staff um that have been here for a long while because they like being here and they enjoy working with the students and the students get a lot out of out of it how would you describe your your teaching style my teaching style is uh, very student-centered i like to keep students on their feet i like to challenge them i like to make them curious um I want them to learn. I want them to turn up each, each time and gain something from from every every session. Uh, I'm not much of a, a, a template teacher. I'd rather do things that I can relate to in in applied and apply to physiology or apply to nutrition. Coming back to these facilities that we have here in Eastbourne, the investment that's been made. We've just seen in Ward Hall the new strength and conditioning centre. I mean that is 
state of the art. So for students to be able to use that is an incredible resource for them if they're hoping to also go into elite sport when they graduate. Yeah, yeah, the whole strength and conditioning area has, has grown massively. Uh, certainly in the last 15 years, courses have developed and our new master's course uh, led by, by Flo and supported heavily by, by Rob Harley um, is a great addition and it's providing students with a great application of their studies and the facility is, is because it's going to be mainly used for teaching, uh, is excellent and it's going to help students progress well. Mm. What is it about the University of Brighton which you believe is most attractive for students studying in the areas that you specialise in? The environment's good, a uh, good open environment for the sea and for the downs. Um, the area that we work in, in in physiology we've got really good labs uh, good equipment um, so we can support the staff uh, support the students uh, effectively in their learning process I think what we can do well is, is give students access to the facilities rather than just purely use that for research and uh, so students get a good hands-on experience we'll come back to your work at the university a little bit later on but let's talk a bit about your life and work outside of it as well and I guess it does sort of probably has an impact on your teaching most high profile arguably is your work with the Great Britain cycling team can you tell us about your involvement with British cycling because um, you're involved in it for for quite a while yeah so um, I first got involved in 1998 99 Um, Peter Keane who was one of my lecturers here um, got a job as head of British cycling and we got on very well and I was studying out in Australia and he invited me to apply for a position as physiologist. Um, and I took that role up and it was a big change going from Queensland to Manchester, which was a bit too much for me uh, in terms of the envir- environment changes and then working downstairs in a velodrome. Um, so, But it was a fantastic opportunity that I couldn't turn down for learning, working with... Um, some really top athletes testing people like Bradley Wiggins and and uh, Chris Hoy and uh, and th- but then really getting into work with Paralympians, which are, which is what I, my passion now. Yeah, I mean you've coached some of the best paracyclists that this country has ever seen, including Dame Sarah Story. Yeah, yeah. So Sarah uh, is probably the more well known. Um, David Stone, who I work with since he's been about eighteen, he. Um, is a uh, ex Brighton and Sussex graduate. Um, he's still performing. He's still aiming for Tokyo, um, and he's he's got a number of gold medals. Darren Darren Kenny, four gold medals in in Beijing. Incredible athlete. Um, and Sarah Story that that um, people know a lot about. I've worked with since two thousand and five, and all of those guys are a pleasure to work with, and I've worked with lots of others as well. Yeah. I mean, as we're recording this, it's just after the conclusion of the uh, Paracycling Track World Championships, yeah. another hugely successful event for GB, twenty medals, greatest tally ever. I mean, you've been a man on the inside. What's the reason for this success? Athletes that are willing to to train and work hard is is a big part of it that's underlooked. I think it's not just about the money. The athletes have to do have to do the work. The money helps with the facilities and helps with the equipment um, and with the support staff. So we've got the edge certainly in terms of financial support, but we have got some good athletes that we're able to put through. And um, it started off in in two thousand when I worked with the squad 
we weren't getting any gold medals at, at, at all and, and gradually over the years it's multiplied and we get get more and more e each year um, but there's almost a, a threshold we've we've reached now um, but I think having good coaching good sports science support um, helps helps a lot yeah, yeah I mean, what about Sarah's story a 14-time Paralympic champion she's 41 she said two breaks out from the sport to have children yeah. what is it about her that makes her so special that makes her so such a great athlete now I mean at that yeah. at that sort of level of her career the age that she is I mean it's a high power sport but yeah. she's still dominating yeah, yeah. Sarah's incredibly driven uh, she's passionate about cycling she was passionate about swimming but moved across to cycling so that's helped her career um, change, switching to, to cycling um, she's got very good support from her family who are excellent um, she's got the ability to push herself she knows what her numbers mean she knows um, where she needs to be to break a new world record she knows what to, she needs to work on to improve herself uh, and she enjoys it you know she loves the sport and she loves what she gets out of it and um, she works blooming hard at it yeah yeah I mean we're only you know just over about a year and a half I guess until the the Tokyo Paralympics yeah. and She'll be aiming for that. How how long can she go on for? How long can she dominate? Um, yeah, she'll she'll carry on all, all the time. Um, she's enjoying it. Uh, as you say, she's been she's had two children, and that she's bounced back from them very quickly. Um, yeah, I think she'll she'll carry on until till her body says she, she it can't go on any longer, uh, um, or other things crop up. But she's um, yeah. There's no reason why as a as a athlete you can't carry on till to you're not hitting the times really and not making the grade yeah i mean she's uh, britain's most decorated female paralympian ever in two sports uh, as you were saying previously in swimming another one of your specialities mm -hmm. which we're going to come back to as well but from your perspective as a coach and uh, a specialist in exercise physiology what is it about swimming which may have helped her with that transition because you've also seen it it's not yeah. jody cundy did the same thing yeah, didn't he yeah 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 so it, it's not necessarily the body shape but the training in swimming is um normally very high intensity it's lots of repetitions it's minimum rest so the cardiovascular response from years and years of training from an early age is going to be good uh, the ability to tolerate hard efforts at different durations different intensities uh, it is all there understanding um pushing yourself at different times of the day is ingrained into swimming so the psychology of, of swimming hard training hard is uh, is useful when it comes across to cycling and then um cycling is not simple you've got to be tactical and you've got to be able to know how to um cycle at the right cadence at the right hill or in, in the in the right speed in the right aerodynamic position um but that can be trained if you're willing to train that then then uh, you'll get the response yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't see many athletes switch sports, but when we sort of do see them, they often seem to be cycling seems to be involved either at the start or maybe the next the next part of the process. I'm thinking yeah. people like Rebecca Romero who obviously went to to yeah. to rowing, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and and you've got um, and you've got Kadina Cox at the moment who's competing yeah. athletics and cycling yeah. at the same time. So there's something about cycling that sort of helps make that transition. Um, We've got Brad Bradley Wiggins thought about rowing as well. Obviously, yeah, I did think about that. Um, yeah, I think it is the the combination of, of short sprints and long duration efforts help. 
um, and um, that train trainability and training tolerance makes a big difference um so yeah people do do come across i think the a lot of the medals are on the velodrome so having access to a velodrome and being able to train there and we've now got a number of velodromes across the country that does make a big difference yeah what about your work as well with the um british triathlon association what have you been involved with there yeah so i've helped with um and uh, a few athletes over the, the last few years um, and currently the main person I work with is Joe Townsend um, who is absolutely brilliant um, and he's hoping to get on the podium at least for, for, for Tokyo uh, and we're just trying to get him a little bit higher up on the podium and um, his work ethic is, is fantastic um, three sports, so it's a little bit different. Joe's swimming was not very good when, when I started working with him, um, but we worked on that tirelessly, and we'll continue to drop the times on that. Um, on a handbike, some of the figures that he comes out with are, are, are unbelievable, um, and he'll still push on with that. And even in the in the chair on the run part of the triathlon, um, he could compete against any any. Uh, wheelchair marathon person I think and push them push them to the line yeah, yeah. You, must, you must be pretty excited about his his potential yeah 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 I'm really excited and um, he's a good guy to work with yeah yeah, yeah. it's marathon season yeah so uh, there's plenty of people around the University of Brighton around Brighton in general around the area um, in Sussex who may be preparing for the Brighton Marathon coming up you'll be a perfect person to ask for some, to some quick advice about nutrition about a few uh, a few tips it's going to go for some quick fire questions yeah, just some yeah, quick answers yeah. if anyone's got some things sort of niggling in the back of their minds so first of all um, the training will be just about done now so how important is that taper? I think the taper can be overrated a bit uh, I think you're right the training's done and then you just go and perform on the day and it might be slightly faster it might be slightly slower depending on how your training's gone but if your training's been poor you, you're going to struggle a lot and you can't play catch up and you can't get away and you can't hide without doing the right training getting used to the right feeding and uh, being prepared so um, it's all about the training yeah yeah I mean in the taper as well some people especially if you're like a, a newer marathon runner you could do all that training for what, like 13 weeks, I guess, it usually yeah. finishes, starts to taper with three weeks, and then you sort of take your foot off the gas, and then people just maybe start yeah. eating more, doing less yeah. training. That's not good. Yeah. No, it's no, still I a think, while, isn't it? I think if people take it the taper too literally, then they can drop off way too much and eat too much, and then they're going into the race in a, com- in a completely different frame to what they've been training with. So they might be, yeah, two kilograms heavier, and they might have not trained for properly for the last two or three weeks. So... We always use, um, you know, we gradually drop down the load and we gradually uh, might slightly increase the the, um, the energy intake. Um, but I think people t- do take it to extremes and, and uh, it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about the other side of that extreme though? So um, if you've run a few marathons and then you're targeting specific times, then the, this whole freight, this whole maranoia comes in and you, you go too far and you don't give yourself enough rest yeah, before race day. I mean, Rest, rest is is important, um, but if you're regularly training, then you're going to be used to every Saturday or Sunday doing a, a fifteen or twenty mile run. I mean, it depends what type of marathon you are. If you're a uh, you know a two thirty, it's very different to a five hour person um, in your training approach and and in the way that you 
uh, race every single mile. So recovery is important here before. When the gun goes and you're underway, uh, there's a tendency for even the most experienced runners or some more experienced runners to, to get a little bit overexcited with the, you know, there's a, lots of crowd support, yeah, lots of people yeah. around. How can, yeah. you, how can you make sure, what are your tips to make sure that people hold back a bit and go with the race plan that you've been planning for months? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I used to do something at the BGF Marathon. I've done that a few times and I always used to sprint up the hill just to get on the camera at the start um, and just bomb up the hill and, and pay the penalty uh, as you went on. And um, the, there is that excitement and that, that showing off factor um, but also you don't want to get dragged behind going at a slow shuffle and I think that's what some, some people do so um, I think you should have a race plan and you should know what your pacing is what your heart rate is going to be uh, or how you feel with your breathing rate and you should stick to that um, because it is very easy to think actually this is pretty good and in marathon running it doesn't the race doesn't start till 23 miles it, 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 the first bit is is warm up really first 20 miles yeah absolutely nutrition the idea of carb loading again if you're not that experienced to marathon running that idea can sound wonderful just eating just yeah. just loads of bread loads of pasta loads of those yeah. are quite naughty stuff but exactly how much uh, should a runner carb load when should they start doing it how many times how many days before the race and what sort of food should they be yeah. looking for and avoiding yeah, so the carb loading theory is, is very dated now and uh, it's very old school. So the danger of it is that you will feel lethargic, you will feel um, heavy potentially, and it's not good for your gut health in, in, in many ways. So a lot of the work now is about being good at burning fats and carb-wise it may be just taking it on the day in, in gel format uh, and not loading up so much so you should be pretty efficient at burning fats and limit your carbohydrate burning during the race um, but we know from ev ev a lot of evidence that um, gradual carbohydrate intake during the marathon in a gel form or in a so solid form does work and does help to maintain uh, blood glucose levels yeah so don't go overboard then runners um should also have an idea about what their race nutrition is by now they may be experimenting with gels or drinks or yeah. chews whatever works yeah. for them really the key thing really is trying to avoid you want to avoid oh. stomach issues yeah, yeah. You, and you and also you can it can mess with your mind a little bit if you're taking too much sugar yeah yes yeah. the sugar side um can have a, a huge impact on on the gut and the gut will feel pretty pretty rough and you may not be able to take the water in effectively and the water may be drawn from the gut uh, and you may may not have the optimal hydration so um electrolyte balance is is more important probably or equally important as carbohydrate in, in, intake um taking lots and lots of gels and taking them at the wrong time is not the ideal thing to do it's it's plan it and whether you're going for one every five miles or you're alternating between a carb gel and a caffeine carb gel um on my long swims um i'll, I'll always use use gels because they work fine for me in the water uh, but on long runs the bouncing up and down can can affect the how the gut feels and and once you're focusing on the gut rather than just naturally running then then your performance can decline 
Yeah, marathons are also that rare occasion where it's okay to take uh, sweets from strangers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> limit that intake as well, but it can give you a little bit of a boost. It's more of a mental thing, isn't it? I think. Or is, yeah. How much can yeah, they really no, do? Yeah, I mean, I would um, never take sweets from strangers. <laughs> um, jelly babies as well are, are, are not ideal. It's, it's generally full of gelatin. That's not a great thing to, to be taking in. Uh, if you're getting that desperate, then then it, it, it's a, something's gone wrong. Um, hopefully, the person's got a bit of a strategy. They've got a backup. They might have a mate on the course, particularly in that last six miles, where that might be able to to pass a gel on if that is allowed in in the race, or they'll have something in in a backpack. Um, but the hydration, keeping the hydration up, is is important, but not overdoing that early on because we know that people can dilute their sodium too much if they're taking litres and litres of water in and we know there's been tragedy from from that yeah yeah what about mentally dealing with fatigue and the conditions brighton seafront can be pretty windy yeah brighton is um is very open um so keeping positive thoughts is, is always going to work well and breaking the the race down into, into small sections so if, if you if you're thinking of it as 26 miles then you've, you've kind of lost it from the start you've got to think of it as a, each mile or each section then keeping into a good rhythm with your breathing with your with your stride frequency is important keeping a good gait um if you are having to stop then getting back onto a rhythm is important i think people that start walking then it can be terrible if you're not getting back into a decent level of, of low intensity running so yeah and once you've stopped it's quite hard to stop stopping as well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um how important is kit uh yeah very important lots of people will overdress they'll look at the weather and they'll put a raincoat on or long trousers when really everyone's going to get hot when they're running a marathon and you want to stay pretty cool I'd say most of the time I don't think there's that many cases where people have been hypothermic in marathons apart from if they're in a real cold cold area and they've stopped going at any intensity um, it's more likely to be hypothermic where we wearing a decent vest and we've got decent shorts on and not really worrying what you look like um, the fact that you've got good cooling and you're not chafing and things aren't too tight you know, people might think compression tights might be ideal, but that might be not allowing you to breathe that well, your, your skin to breathe well. Just finally on the marathon subject, if you had a, a friend or you had uh, an athlete you were coaching or someone that was just about to go and you had them one final piece of advice, what would it be? Um, stick to your plan that you've done in, in training. If you've done the right training, you'll be absolutely fine. It's too late if you haven't. <laughs> cool. Um, I just want to talk to you about your own endurance achievements yeah. because they are extraordinary. Swimming the channel is um, pretty incredible. Open water swimming is a big passion of yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's what I get up for. Yeah. So how much? How much do you do you do it a week? Oh, and I'm what every do you... day? Yeah, I'm in the sea every day. Um, long distance wise, I'll, I'll always do one or two events, a, a big events a year. Um, and the channel was always a dream to do that. So, um, yeah, I did that and did it um, did it well, yeah. Yeah. Mm. What's it like swimming across the channel? Because um, a lot of people would, would sort of look at yeah. that and think it's, it sounds pretty yeah. impossible. Yeah, so I'd done a lot of crewing for, for other people before and I'd done a relay before, three-man relay. Um, that time wasn't much different to your solo no, time. No, it wasn't, no, no. It was, it was pretty similar. Um, we, we had good conditions that day as well. Um but yeah, swimming across is is pretty daunting at first, and and 
quite nerve-wracking because you've invested in it financially, you've invested in it in yourself. You probably haven't told everyone how you're feeling completely. Uh, and certainly when I went to do the channel, um, a guy had died the, the day before I was due to swim. And that was all over Sky News and, and BBC News. And um, he was a little bit younger than me. And I thought, blimey, this is serious, yeah. What is it you um, enjoy most about open water swimming then? Because I think for a lot of maybe for a lot of runners and cyclists, you obviously get changing scenery a lot. You get yeah, to sort of take yeah. in a lot of the external surroundings around you. But I guess when you're swimming, yeah. it's not, not quite so much like that. No, it's not. I think what I like is... Um, I like my own company, so I'm, I'm fine being on my own. I'm fine not being disturbed by anyone. Um, I like to an aim of where I'm going to get to. Uh, I know there's the feeling of the water as well and, and the changing currents, so you're all, always something's a little bit different. Um, there's the, all the kind of blue therapy side of things that you, you can just listen to your breathing and you can look for the next point or follow the boat to the next point so um yeah i love all that yeah do you go to any sort of uh dark places mentally during Um, during that i've been in pain uh a lot of pain um so i've had spasms in my arm and i've still got 5k to go on a long swim uh swimming to rottnest island for example my arm one arm wasn't working so you're just going with the other arm um so that's a battle because you don't want to lose and you never want to give up. So that's probably the worst I get. Um, and you just crack on, yeah. Yeah. Um, are you setting yourself any new challenges? What's on the... I mean, do you have a bucket list of events you want to do? Oh, there's loads a lot I'd like to do, but I haven't got enough money. I haven't got any money. Um, yeah, so I'd love to do some other big ones. Um, I'd love to go back and do some ones that I've done before. So... I've done Lake Zurich, Rottnest Island in in Australia. I'd like to do again. Um, I would like to do Cook Straits. That would be good. Um, I would like to do uh, one in Africa, across to Africa maybe. Uh, Gibraltar Strait would be quite good. But it's all logistics and and money, unfortunately, yeah. Because Uh, of the crewing as well. Yeah, crewing and making sure on that day that things are... the weather's going to be right. So... um, yeah, it's a bit of a risk, so I'll, I'll do a lot of local swims and, and uh, um, a few races, yeah. Yeah. Just going back to your work here, all this experience, I know it may be difficult for you to say it yourself, but your students must really feed off it, and I guess they're intrigued by some of the people you've worked with, some of the work that you've that you've done. The ones that I like, um, uh, that I like are the ones that are really curious, the ones that want to come along and watch me coaching Joe Townsend in the in the pool or come in the lab and look at what the data's data is when I'm working with with an athlete um or come out to an event so that their um students I'm quite happy to help and and there's a lot of them that have, over the years I've helped and they've gone on to good jobs um which has been really good you know and they're they're people that are head of science in sailing and people that are in different football clubs and in decent jobs because they've gone out their way to, to get a bit more experience. We're just going to finish off because at the end of every podcast we ask the same four questions to everyone that we speak to. So first one is, can you describe your or pick your favourite place in Sussex? Something like Berlin Gap, um, which is an area where I was brought up going prawning um, and it's a beautiful spot. 
uh, I go paddleboarding up there, I surf off there, uh, I'll have a coffee up there, I might um, take my kids up there, play with some seals. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a good spot. Cool. Yeah. What are you currently uh, reading, watching and or listening to? You can pick all three or just pick one of the others. I'm reading a couple of books. Um, Boy in the Water, which is the f- little kid that swam the channel. Uh, I think got listed for a pro- prize. Tom Gregory, I think, the author, maybe. I've got this one, The Salt Path. I just started here. All kind of sea-based. I read a bit of Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, which is quite, quite good. Um, different stories in there. I listen to what do I listen to? Gil Scott Heron, a bit of Loyal Carner, a bit of a uh, bit of a mixture of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, can you describe your your perfect weekend? I imagine swimming's in there somewhere, is it? Uh, yeah, it's going to be. You know, I'm, I'm a waterman, so it, it's going to be. Um, yeah, waking up, going for an early surf or an early swim. Uh, maybe with with my kids, um, watching the sunrise, going paddleboarding. Um, it will be um, going coming back in having a couple of poached eggs with Joe Townsend um, I'd probably then go back out do a bit of spear fishing um, with a few mates cook the sea bass up on the up on the beach and then I'd probably go back out in the, in the water again <laughs> and um, maybe um, yeah I don't know go uh, go for another surf probably out in Byron Bay that's in the afternoon and then I'd um, head across to Brazil and, and have a night out there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a decent weekend. And then finally, um, if you can invite three people to dinner, past or present, who would they be? I, I mean, I'm not great on all the kind of hero worship, but I guess Sir Alex Ferguson would be pretty good. Uh, I think he'd tell a good story. I'd learn a bit from his coaching. Yeah, I'm a bit Man United, a bit Brighton. So um, uh, they're my, not my local team, but yeah, so that would be good. Captain Cook probably have a he'd be a good person to bring along. Um, I think his towers in Tahiti and the South Pacific would be be amazing. And um, yeah, being able to get sail places with, with him in the after party that would be good. Um, and thirdly, who was I thinking? Thirdly, I don't know, maybe someone like Michael Phelps or something. I, I've, I've met him, uh, the pleasure of meeting him, and. Um, Again, he he he's done a few parties, but he he can swim fast, and and I'd learned from him uh, from swimming, and you know his performances, knowing how to get the best out of someone, that would be a, something I could learn at the dinner party. I don't know, don't know what we'd eat, but yeah. Thank you to Gary for his time. As you heard from that, I'm not really sure how he managed to fit us in. And we all send our luck to Joe Townsend in his build-up to the 2020 Tokyo Paralympics. That's just about it for this episode, but you can download back editions via Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can also like and subscribe or search University of Brighton in your preferred podcast app. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.